the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blinn producing, Dave King engineering in Portland, Pedro Bartez producing and engineering in Seattle. Today, looking forward to a conversation with Ann White. She is the producer of a study Bible. Courage for Life Study Bible for Women and Men. It really is a discipleship um, suite of materials, and we'll talk with her about that in the second hour of today's program. But first, some of the day's headlines. Well, IDF surrounded the hospital in northern Gaza, saying Hamas commanders and 19 operatives have been killed. Intense fighting in the northern Gaza area is prompting thousands of Palestinian civilians to flee as Israel closes in on terrorist hideouts, the IDF says, are located in hospitals. On Thursday, approximately 80,000 people left northern Gaza through the evacuation corridors as Israel works to limit civilian casualties. Well, the Israel Defense Forces International Spokesperson Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hecht and an operations officer of the Givati Brigade, Major Shea, provided a briefing on the evacuation of the Ratisi Hospital. The IDF said hundreds of Hamas terrorists were seen over and underground, and troops arrived at the hospital knowing that there was Hamas terrorists in it. We called civilians to leave the hospital for three days, Shea said. We wanted to evacuate civilians and sick people. We realized civilians were held by Hamas there. We got close, surrounded hospital, and opened a safe passage out of the hospital. We saw terrorists in the groups, and the crowds evacuating between the civilians. We had a dilemma. Do we attack Hamas terrorists between the people? We decided not to use snipers and not to shoot, Shea said. Uh, we did not want people to panic. We saw Hamas terrorists shooting at people to force them back into the hospital. Uh, we decided not to act, and we unfortunately let the terrorists leave with the civilians. They use people as human shields. We let that happen in order to not hurt civilians. We identified in that spot at least five or six terrorists inside the crowds and others in the hospital. We saw them via the windows, Hecht said. We will continue to destroy all Hamas capabilities. We are doing our best to encourage civilians to evacuate these areas. Hospitals need to be evacuated in order for us to deal with Hamas. Shifa Hospital, we are uh, seeing a presence of several thousands in the courtyards. We're pushing forward to increase the number of people leaving the hospital. And according to Shea, people left the hospital by foot in ambulances and on wheelchairs. Meanwhile, President Biden will travel to San Francisco for a high stakes meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping at the 30th annual Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit or APEC. The showdown between the leaders of the world's two largest economies who are on the opposite ends in many issues is likely to dominate the summit. For President Biden, it will be an opportunity to highlight some of the areas where cooperation is possible while also issuing stern warnings on key U.S. national interests in the region. The Chinese president will likely assert China's ability to influence global affairs and act as a mediator in some of the world's conflicts. APEC is a coalition of nations with conflicting interests and values. 
It groups members' economies and not nations and covers nearly 40% of the global population, about 62% of GDP, and almost half of global trade, according to the State Department. Participants include Taiwan, an island territory that Beijing considers to be part of China, but the U.S. backs with military support. This will be the first meeting between President Biden and President Xi since they met on the sidelines of the G20 meeting in Bali in November of 2022. President Biden's meeting with Xi comes after several high-level U.S. officials met with their Chinese counterparts to ease tensions after the spy balloon incident earlier this year. The U.S. and China are fundamentally at odds on many issues, as you know, and there are low expectations the meeting will yield significant results. There is no need for President Biden to meet with Xi Jinping to talk about Ukraine and Israel next Wednesday. China's expert Gordon Chang told Fox News Digital if Biden wants Beijing to stop supporting Russia's war against Ukraine and Iran's war on Israel, he needs to impose severe costs on China. So far, however, the president does not seem willing or um, likely to do that. Also, Israel called on Hamas to surrender Shifa Hospital, the base, as U.S. strikes Iran proxies in Syria. The Israeli ministry is calling on Hamas to surrender its bases in and under Shifa Hospital in Gaza today, despite Hamas denials that it has such a base. Fighting has centered around the hospital for days as patients suffer a lack of resources. The U.S., meanwhile, has launched airstrikes against Iranian proxy terrorist groups in Syria. An Israel Defense Force, or IDF soldiers, are photographed inside the Hamas parliament. It's a building in Gaza earlier today. The soldiers are part of the Golani Brigade, according to the Jerusalem Post. The picture that circulated on social media showing the soldiers posed together proudly holding the Israeli flag. Israeli Defense Minister Yov Gallant, he previously said on Monday that Hamas had lost control of Gaza. Hamas has lost control of the uh, country. Uh, terrorists are fleeing southward. Civilians are looting Hamas bases, Gallant said. They don't have faith in the government anymore. There is no power that Hamas ha- is capable of stopping the IDF. The IDF is advancing to every point, he went on to add. Well, a former Christian student at a Chicago public school reacted to winning $150,000 after she alleged in a lawsuit that while on campus, she was forced into participating in Hindu rituals, according to the original complaint. I'm a very strong Christian, Maria uh, Green told uh, in uh, interviewers. She said a woman who was teaching her meditation in mandated quiet time asked her to bow to an image of a foreign deity she did not recognize. The woman teaching the meditation said it would help her internalize the mantras and bring her to Zen. Green believes that she was nearly forced to idol worship like I'm in school right now. Uh, Why is uh, why are we learning how to meditate in this way? I just knew it wasn't right. So that's what made me take the initiative and go home to tell my parents and my auntie, who was my pastor at the time, that I didn't feel comfortable with what they were enforcing uh, and forcing us to do at school. The only time I kneel was when I am at the altar at church when I'm praying and I'm kneeling down for God because that was a way that he was um, he we were taught, but not uh, kneeling to that idol. It was inappropriate, she said, (laughs) teenager in school. The complaint originally filed by law firm Malk and Baker in February alleged that the compelled rituals violated her deeply held religious beliefs during the quiet time program implemented by the Chicago Public Schools. The district said it terminated the program in 2020 and denied that at any time violated any of its students' constitutional rights. However, 
The courts seemed to believe otherwise. A little-known Boston-based organization focused on sustainability and combating global warming and fueling uh, fueled rather by millions of dollars in dark money. Funding has uh, quietly established itself in recent years as a key federal policy-making power player. SARE is a nonprofit uh, advocacy organization founded in 89. In recent years, has established elaborate networks of financial institutions, pension funds, labor unions, and major multinational corporations, rallying those members to pursue shared left-wing climate policies. The group has simultaneously worked hand-in-hand with other environmental groups and the federal and state policyholders for um, uh, to forward its agenda. The group is trying to drive the climate agenda through subterfuge and milking the power of wealthy investment firms and big corporations. That's a quote from Jason Isaac, the founder and CEO of the American Energy Institute, saying they're getting rich while they believe that they are saving the world. I say they're destroying the planet to save the earth in their minds and that the scourge of the earth is us humans. At the same time, they just happen to be profiting very handsomely from their advocacy. So they feel good about it. I call it a cult. It has uh, become their religion, he went on to say. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back with more headlines in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in today's program, Ann White. She is the um, well collaborator, I will say, with Tyndale in putting together the Courage for Life Study Bible for Men or Women. It really is a discipleship tool that has a whole suite of resources. She'll join us in the 5 o'clock hour to tell us about them. Well, lawmakers in both the House and the Senate are pushing back on a progressive Biden administration labor policy. The bipartisan group of two senators and two House members introduced legislation known as a Congressional Review Act, or CRA, which is aimed at repelling the National Labor Relations Board's new joint employer rule policy. Well, under the rule change, companies are liable to addition to their um, liable in addition to their franchises for workplace policies like union contracts, payroll and other measures. It's set to take effect on the 26th of December. Senators Joe Manchin and Bill Cassidy, Democrat and Republican, respectively, led the repeal effort in the upper chamber, while Representative John James and Education and Workforce Committee Chair Virginia Fox, both Republicans, pushed it in the House. Fox said the Biden administration's updated policy means higher costs for consumers and fewer jobs for workers. And Cassidy said it undermines the franchise model that's empowered those underrepresented in the business community. Well, Manchin, meanwhile, called for Republicans and his fellow Democrats to vote for the resolution. House Speaker Mike Johnson on Thursday told the New York City that if it wanted federal money to help house migrants aimed at, um, well, providing what they need with the ongoing crisis there, it would have to ax this sanctuary city status. In an interview with the New York Post, Johnson expressed confidence that House Republicans would require the heavily Democrat city to get rid of its policies that restrict police from cooperating with immigration and customs enforcement agents to deport migrants accused of committing crimes. The idea that you would maintain a sanctuary city status and then cry out to the federal government for assistance and what you've done is unconscionable, Johnson told the Post. Johnson's comments come following a request from the Biden administration for $1.4 billion in funding for state and local governments across the country to fund the care of migrants released into the U.S. However, New York City Mayor Eric Adams and four other big city mayors have rejected that amount and instead asked for $5 billion in 
uh, funding relief. Johnson also blasted Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas as one of the worst cabinet secretaries in the history of the United States and said his job performance in the role was inexcusable. One New Jersey mother is fighting to change laws regarding artificial intelligence. If you're a mom, a dad, particularly of a teenager, listen up. After her daughter's face was used to generate a fake nude image and reportedly circulated among her classmates. Dorota Manny says her 14-year-old daughter, 14, Francesca, was one of several female students at the high school Westfield in New Jersey, whose photo was used by another classmate to create a pornographic image using artificial intelligence. And while the girls in the school were made aware of the incident in October, the images were shared last summer. Well, Manny filed a police report and has been in contact with the high school over the incident. As a fellow educator, she expressed being dissatisfied with the way her daughter's school handled the situation, saying it was, at best, incompetent. However, the New Jersey mom said she's done crying about it and she's ready to take proactive steps to protect other victims of A.I. abuse. She's taken her daughter's story to New Jersey's Republican state senator, John Bramick, and to U.S. Representative Tom Keene to get legislation regulating A.I. passed at the state and the federal level. A former Democratic state lawmaker from Michigan sounded the alarm on President Biden's reelection campaign and said, while he seemed perfect in 2020, Biden was a transitional president. The Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday. They reported that some Democratic leaders in battleground states were concerned about Biden's chances of defeating the current GOP frontrunner, Donald Trump. It feels like he was the perfect person in 2020, but not for 2024. The former Democratic state lawmaker of Michigan, who remained anonymous, told the Wall Street Journal. He's a transitional president and you have to know when to transition. And it's now, end quote. Two polls released this past week showed Trump ahead of Biden in a hypothetical general election matchup, as well as in several battleground states. The Air Force and Space Force are raising the maximum age applicants can enlist as the services continue to uh, search for ways to alleviate ongoing recruiting struggles. Those interesting, interested rather in joining the Air Force or Space Force will have until they are 42 years old to sign up. A three-year rise in the age limit that was previously set at 39, according to a report from Military.com. The change means that the two branches will now be accepting of The oldest recruits of any Department of Defense military branch. Air Force recruiting is glad to see a change in the age component and uh, a sessions process. The Brigadier General Chris um, Armhine, the Air Force Recruiting Service commander, said in a statement provided to the media, this change, which aligns us with the Department of Defense accessions policy, is about identifying opportunity for talent out there. But make no mistake, we are not lowering any of our standards. Someone who is 42 still has to meet the same accession requirements as a younger applicant. The change comes after the Air Force announced last month that it had missed its active duty recruiting goal by 11 percent, failing nearly Um, 3,000 recruits short and 26,877 that the service said it needed, according to Military.com. The failure to meet recruiting goals extended to other branches as well, the report noted, with the Army and Navy also falling short of this year's goals. Only the, the Marine Corps was able to meet its recruiting goals this year, though the report notes that the branch squeaked by and has also struggled to meet National Guard and officer goals. 
Well, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott announced that he is suspending his 2024 presidential campaign in an appearance on Fox News Sunday night in America. Scott said, I think the voters who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me not now, Tim. In addition to ending his campaign, the senator emphasized he has no plans to endorse another candidate in the race for the Republican nomination. The best way for me to be helpful is to not weigh in, he said. Scott also gave a thumbs down to the idea that he could serve as the nominee's running mate on the Republican Party's 2024 national ticket. Being vice president has never been on my to-do list, he said. Well, the news was a surprise to some of the senator's staff as a handful of campaign aides confirmed that they were not given a heads up on Scott's decision ahead of his live appearance on Sunday. But the senator did hold an all-staff call following his interview. The first batch of migrants was bused to a makeshift tent city in Brooklyn on Sunday and took one look and were ready to leave, according to reports. Shortly after 1230 p.m. on Sunday, dozens of migrant families arrived at the remote housing site and wanted no part of it upon arrival. The controversial tent shelter at Brooklyn's Floyd Bennett Field, which has drawn widespread criticism for its remote location, among many other concerns, is set to house nearly 2,000 migrants, but the first busload abandoned the site after taking a view of it. As we have said time and time again, more than 139,500 asylum seekers have moved through our intake system since the spring of 2022, all of whom have been offered vital services, New York Mayor Eric Adams said in a statement. New York Governor Kathy Hochul, who got approval from the administration to use Floyd Bennett Field for migrants, has also called on the feds to do more. But Mayor Adams has assured that the um, precautions were no place to ensure safety at the uh, at the site. But with more than 65,600 migrants still currently in our care and thousands more continuing to arrive every week, we have used every possible corner of New York City and are quite simply out of good options to shelter migrants. Some have suggested they're willing to go as far as home to avoid these accommodations that have been generously provided. We're going to take a break here in just a moment, but I do want to remind you coming up in our second hour, we're going to talk about a new study Bible that emphasizes discipleship. It's a Bible with all kinds of other resources associated with it. We'll talk with Ann White when she joins us in the five o'clock hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, so stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the program, Ann White, Courage for Life Study Bible for Men and One for Women. By the way, published by Tyndale. Well, the first batch of migrants was bused to a... Well, I already told you that. I'm not going to tell you again. If you weren't listening the first time, that's just it. A House China Select Committee Chairman Mike Gallagher is requesting information from the United States Army on its efforts to protect an essential U.S. territory that remains highly vulnerable amid um, heightened Chinese military aggression. That's been learned. Gallagher, a Republican out of Wisconsin, pinned a letter to Army Secretary Christine Warmoth exclusively obtained by Fox, requesting information on protecting Guam, the westernmost point of the United States. Guam hosts naval base Guam, the Navy's most uh, and only submarine base in the western Pacific, as well as the Anderson Air Force Base, a larger a large air base that is able to host U.S. strategic bombers and fighters. With over 20,000 U.S. troops stationed on the island, Guam will play an essential role in the defense of American allies and inter- interests in the region. Well, Gallagher wrote to Warmoth, but despite its strategic importance, Guam remains highly vulnerable to 
an increasingly sophisticated network of missiles from the People's Republic of China, especially its cruise missiles, end quote. Guam is significantly closer to China than Hawaii, Gallagher said, and warned that China has spent decades developing both short and intermediate range ballistic missiles that can target Guam and U.S. airfields in Japan, as well as U.S. aircraft carriers and warships operating in the Western Pacific. While the United States has developed sea and land-based ballistic missile defense capabilities and sufficient sea-based cruise missile defense capabilities, it has significant gaps in capabilities to defend against PRC cruise missiles attacking land-based targets such as Guam. (sighs) President Biden is set to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping this week in California a meeting that officials hope will ease tensions in the bilateral relationship between the United States and the People's Republic of China, and one that comes at a time in in need of intense diplomacy. The meeting is set to take place in San Francisco's Bay Area on Wednesday. Senior administration officials said the uh, specifics of the location will not be uh, shared for operational security reasons. The White House says President Biden and President Xi are expected to discuss the relationship between the United States and China, including the importance of maintaining open lines of communication. Well, pro-life groups involved in the unsuccessful opposition to an Ohio ballot measure that enshrined abortion access into the state's constitution on Tuesday are offering up post-mortem insight into what went wrong and pushing back on the popular media narrative that abortion is an issue that Republicans can't win on. Well, after Ohioans voted yes on issue one by a 13 point margin on Tuesday, Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America President Marjorie Dannensfeller, she released a memo explaining how opponents on issue one were outspent by two to one margin in a media blitz. The SBA vice president of state affairs, Stephen Billy, said consisted of ads that were lying to the voters of Ohio because the abortion industry knows its positions are too extreme for most Americans. The abortion industry game plan is um, we are going to spend tens of millions of dollars and lie to the American people and run ads that say that pro-life states don't have protections for life of the mother situations. We're going to run ads that say women can't get care for a miscarriage because of the law of pro-life states. And those are the lies that are getting picked up by the national media as well, Billy said. One of the ways to do that, Billy went on to say, is on the issue of messaging, which many pundits and media sources have said is something that Republicans routinely fail to do. Well, Billy rejected that narrative and pointed out several areas where Republicans have won on abortion posts. Uh, the reversal of Roe versus Wade. We're able to win when we're able to directly expose the extremism of the other side and contrast that with the uh, compassion and the love of the pro-life movement, Billy explained. It's not a political liability to be pro-life. It's not a losing issue. The voters and the American people are with us in rejecting the extremism of the abortion industry and their desire for us to be like China and North Korea to have abortions without limits. We just have to find a way to translate the success of our politicians uh, so that our politicians um, uh, that they had uh, in the ballot initiative fights. House Speaker Mike Johnson faces his first true test this week. The newly elected House Speaker is offering something he's characterized in recent weeks as a laddered CR, a continuing resolution. Yeah, not a lot of people in Washington knew what that was either. Johnson engineered a plan to fund the entire government on a temporary basis through January 19th, which is when Congress is expected to pass one batch of spending bills to avert a shutdown. The remainders would have until February 2nd. 
The laddered concept stems from dealing with one rung of bills by one date and the next rung of bills later on. Laddered. You get it. Well, call it what you will, but uh, Johnson proposed is a continuing resolution, an interim spending bill, which simply renews all funding at current levels to avoid a government shutdown early Saturday morning. Ironically, this is exactly the same legislative idea that got former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy canned earlier this fall. So what gives? It's rebranding. Companies change their names all the time. Firms wrap up products in a shinier, newer package. It doesn't affect the stuff inside. The term CR, continuing resolution, became toxified inside some quarters of the House Republican Congress. So you um, you have to alter the marketing. Moreover, Johnson reiterates that he is committed to advancing the 12 annual appropriations bills, which fund the government one by one, as Republicans promised, except for a couple of things. A CR is still a CR, a continuing resolution. There was never enough time for when Johnson clasped the gavel uh, to advance all the spending bills through the House and merge them with the Senate to avoid a shutdown. So this was the only way out of this cul-de-sac for Johnson. But Johnson is running into the same problems that dogged his predecessor. Republicans insist on passing their own partisan spending bills individually, but they simply can't, at least not now. America's population is projected to shrink by 2100, and experts warn the decline could have significant economic impacts. And America's trucking industry is in a dire state, which is bad news for the American economy because it serves as an indicator of the mood of consumers and their pocketbooks heading into the holiday season, one expert warned. Post-pandemic, there's been a surplus of trucks and drivers compared to the amount of freight that needs transporting as lockdown spending shows um, are rather slowed and the cost of living continues to rise. More truckers are finding For the same loads, which results in a dogfight between trucker and trucking companies, uh, J.K.C. Trucking Vice President and co-owner Mike Kershinsky told Fox News Digital. Everybody's calling this a great trucking recession, and it's true because all the trucking companies right now are in a dark time. He said this is not a good time to be in the trucking industry. Just to paint a picture, the trucking industry is the engine that drives the American economy forward. We're fueling growth and prosperity by transporting goods to where they need to be. And when the engine breaks down or stops, it works like a heart. When that ceases to be, it brings the entire economic system to a halt. Yellow Corporation, for example, which is one of the nation's oldest and largest trucking companies, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in August, laying off 30,000 employees. Convoy Inc., a Seattle-based trucking startup that was uh, valued by investors at $3.8 billion just last year, shut down last month. Because volumes are down, we may even see more trucking companies go out of business, he went on to say. It's going to be really interesting and scary to see how this all unfolds over the next few months because of what has happened in the last two years, end quote. Well, across Germany, in schools, city halls, synagogues, churches and parliament, people were coming together Thursday to commemorate the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, or the night of broken glass in which the Nazis terrorized Jews throughout Germany and Austria. Chancellor Olaf Scholz and the German main Jewish leader, Joseph Schuster, were set to speak at an anniversary celebration at a Berlin synagogue that was attacked with firebomb last month. On the 9th of November, 1938, the Nazis killed at least 91 people and vandalized 7,500 Jewish businesses. They also burned more than 1,400 synagogues, according to Israel's Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial, which if you ever have the opportunity to visit, 
be prepared with Kleenex, but it's um, a must-see. Up to 30,000 Jewish men were arrested, many of them taken to concentration camps such as Dachau and Buchenwald. Hundreds more committed suicide or died as a result of mistreatment in the camps years before official mass deportations began. Ted Deutsch, CEO of American Jewish Committee, points out a truly moving sight. Tonight in Germany on the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, the words never again is now are projected on the Buchenwald Gate in Berlin. Senator Joe Manchin announced he will not run for re-election and pro-Palestine protesters stormed the New York Times building. Masses of pro-Palestine protesters took to the streets of New York City and made their way to the New York Times building, criticizing their coverage of the war in Israel. On Thursday, demonstrators took over the lobby of the building, holding up Palestinian flags and a sign that said, Ceasefire Now. They read off names of those killed in Gaza from a paper called the New York Crimes. Andy Noe weighs in, pointing out that radical leftists have occupied the New York Times office in Manhattan to protest the their coverage of the uh, Israeli-Hamas war. They say the New York Times is too biased in favor of Israel. The activists want Israel to be abolished and do not accept criticism on of the Palestinian terror. Well, CNN cut ties with a freelance photojournalist based in Gaza hours after a photo emerged purportedly showing a top Hamas leader kissing the photographer on the cheek. Freelancer Hassan Alessia uh, can be seen in the photo being friendly with Hamas chief, uh, the mastermind of the uh, October 7th massacre that killed 1,400 Israelis. The photo came to light after honest reporting, a pro-Israel media watchdog group uh, published a report on Wednesday claiming El Asaya and other photojournalists were embedded with Hamas terrorists on the day they attacked Israel last month. In the hours following the expose, new material is still coming to light concerning Gazan freelance journalist Hassan Elazaya, or Eslaya, uh, whom the AP and CNN used on October 7th. Here he is, and they po- uh, posted a picture um, with Hamas leader and mastermind of the October 7th massacre. Well, fights broke out between pro-Israeli and pro-Palestinian supporters in Los Angeles on Wednesday night in front of a museum where a screening of the controversial movie about the October 7th Hamas attacks was taking place. The clashes erupted across the street from the Museum of Tolerance, a multimedia museum, where inside more than 150 people had gathered to watch Bearing Witness, a 47-minute film that was touted as featuring extremely graphic and violent footage documenting the attacks. Actress Gal Gadot who previously served in the Israeli Defense Forces, is understood to have helped organize the event, but did not attend. However, her husband, uh, an Israeli film producer, was present. Two groups clashed outside L.A.'s Museum of Tolerance at the center screened the film of the Hamas atrocities. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, break, and we'll be back. Break back. You got it. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. Coming up on our second hour, Ann White, Courage for Life Study Bible for Men and the Courage for Life Study Bible for Women. The uh, Bibles are published by Tyndale. She'll join us in the five o'clock hour to tell us more about this discipleship tool. Well, Kappa Kappa Gamma National Headquarters kicked out two prominent alumni last week over alleged policy violations related to their advocacy on behalf of six female University of Wyoming students who sued the sorority after a man was admitted into their chapter. 
The organization terminated the membership of former Kappa Kappa Gamma National Foundation President Patsy LeVang and longtime member and active contributor Cheryl Tuck-Smith on October 29th. The two women told National Review in an exclusively provided uh, an independent uh, interview by the Independent Women's Forum and the Independent Women's Law Center. KKG, Kappa Kappa Gamma, accused the women of violating a host of policies by using the organization's contact list to fundraise for the female student's legal defense and by disparaging the sorority's decision to admit a male student in various media interviews. Chicago's new left-wing pro-illegal immigration uh, criminal apologist mayor recently chided his fellow Democrats in New York City for their increasingly dire rhetoric about illegal immigrants arriving in their jurisdiction. Governor Kathy Hochul used to talk about how these immigrants uh, would be embraced by the warm, open arms of New York. Now she's telling them to go elsewhere. Mayor Eric Adams thumped his chest about the Big Apple being a sanctuary city during the Trump years. Now he's warning that it's overrun by migrants who are destroying the city, and he's offering them one-way plane tickets out of town. Pope Francis uh, keeps appealing to the LGBTQ crowd. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Vatican said transgender people may be baptized as Catholics and can serve as godparents in the latest sign of the church's greater openness to LGBTQ people under Pope Francis. The Vatican also said that children of gay couples, including ones who are adopted or born to surrogate mothers, may be baptized and that such couples may serve as godparents. A small but growing number of U.S. parishes have formed LGBTQ support groups and welcome transgender people to their own uh, on their own terms. Yet several Catholic dioceses have issued guidelines targeting trans people with restrictions and refusing to recognize their gender identity. In other news, after 118 days, the SAG-AFTRA actor strike is finally over and Hollywood can get back to work. Uh. Studios and union reps reached a tentative agreement on Wednesday, meaning the strike ended at 12.01 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday and production can start up again within the next few weeks. Specific details still aren't being shared with the public. More information will likely become available on Friday when the agreement reaches the board. The publication noted the strike is ending as little le- in little less than a month after the Writers Guild of America ratified its three-year contract and the studios are being on strike earlier this year. Despite overall crime declining in New York City in October, hate crimes against the Jewish community jumped by over 200 percent compared to the same period last year. In the weeks following Hamas' uh, surprise terror attack on Israel, NYPD's hate crime task force registered a 214 percent spike in anti-Jewish incidents compared to the same period last year. Jewish New Yorkers have reported being spat, uh, spat on and harassed on the subway. Uh, Jewish students at local colleges have been mobbed by pro-Palestinian protesters and at least in the case of Cooper Union, forced to seek shelter in a library. And in upstate New York, a Cornell student was arrested for threatening to massacre Jews on campus. Latest numbers from NYPD's Hate Crimes Bureau underscore FBI Director Christopher Ray's earlier warning on Capitol Hill in late October that the conflict in the Middle East had led to an historic rise in anti-Semitism. Law enforcement advises Americans to take every threat seriously and contact police immediately. The Anti-Defamation League reports that nationwide there's been a 388% increase in anti-Semitism and those numbers could increase as the war continues. A half a million people packed the streets of London Saturday in a pro-Palestine protest that was among the largest demonstrations ever held in the city. 
while a group of Americans uh, staked out Joe Biden's home in Delaware. Hundreds of thousands of protesters also marched against the Israel-Hamas war in Paris, Brussels, Barcelona, Cape Town, Dublin, and more on Saturday, most calling for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. London protests, um, it's overlapped with the Armistice Day, where British citizens commemorate the soldiers who died in World War I. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the rally's timing was disrespectful, while other ministers had called for the march to be canceled. Home Secretary Suella Braveman uh, called the demonstrations hate marchers in the lambasted op-ed in the Times of London. But while some marchers carried signs that said free Palestine, stop the massacre and stop bombing Gaza, the chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, was also heard. The rallying cry is viewed as anti-Semitic because it implies a call for Israel's eradication. Dr. Eli David says pro-Palestinian protests in London chanted the uh, phrase, uh, which calls for the abolition of Israel and the killing of all Jews. Have you seen a single pro-Palestinian protester chanting two-state solution? A statement from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, this week explaining why the school did not follow through on its threat to suspend students involved in anti-Semitic hate events on campus, said that the school was concerned that students could be deported. MIT President Sally Kornbluth issued a warning after Jews and Israeli students said that they had been uh, scared of their for their physical safety and were prevented from going to class because of anti-Semitic events, which started early Thursday morning, was being held in a highly trafficked area. Uh, Hertz noted that, according to MIT, one-third of its student population is comprised of foreign nationals who are in the U.S. on visas. Pope Francis has removed the leader of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, a conservative bishop who became a vocal critic of the pontiff, even accusing him earlier this year of undermining the Catholic faith. The Vatican made the announcement in one of uh, in line rather at the end of its Holy See bulletin on Saturday, saying that he had uh, been removed from the pastoral care of the diocese and that the bishop uh, Jose Joe Vasquez of um, of Austin was appointed as interim apostolic administrator in a May 12th tweet. Bishop Joseph Strickland wrote, I believe Pope Francis is the Pope, but it is time for me to say that I regret and reject his program for undermining the uh, deposit of faith. Follow Jesus. He also became the subject of a Vatican investigation this year, and he promised at the time that he wouldn't voluntarily resign. Strickland challenged Francis to fire him in 2020, when, as uh, one former executive, David McCormick of Hedge Fund Bridgewater Associates noted, Ability is not teachable and values are often not teachable. So the qualities we um, are least able to influence are the things we often find in veterans. Uh, Following a looting mob stripping the shells of nearly uh, or rather stripping them nearly bare at CVS Pharmacy uh, in Columbus Heights, the neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Last month, the store has taken new drastic measures to prevent Uh, Any future shoplifting rampages, the CVS store's shelves remain empty of any products, but in their place are pictures of the goods for sale. Customers are now forced to press a call button and wait for a store employee to bring out the goods requested, with looting mobs becoming a big problem in many of the nation's largest cities. Companies like uh, CVS have responded by both closing down a number of their stores in high-crime neighborhoods, or as in this case in D.C., going to extraordinary lengths to prevent shoplifting. Democrats plan to issue subpoenas in the Supreme Court ethnic uh, ethics probe hit a roadblock. They vow to continue the probe into wealthy donor ties to Justice Thomas and Alito. 
justices, I should say, after the GOP stalled the subpoenas. The third GOP debate drew fewer than 7 million viewers on NBC. Jill Stein has announced a 2024 presidential bid. CNN cut ties with a freelancer after a photo emerged of him sharing a kiss with a Hamas leader. Former Baltimore prosecutor Marilyn Mosby has been found guilty of perjury. The feds busted a high-end prostitution network that had politicians, pharma execs, and military officials as customers. The IRS adjusted the tax brackets by 5.4% amid still-high inflation. And SpaceX won a reprieve from a Department of Justice suit alleging hiring discrimination. Michael Orr uh, was paid more than $138,000 from the Blind Side book and movie, court filings say, and Glamour magazine named a transgender model among the women of the year. Astronaut Frank Borman, commander of the first Apollo mission to the moon, has died at age 95. The Department of Defense has released the names of five Army soldiers killed An MH-60 Black Hawk helicopter crash on Friday. The Special Operations Aviation soldiers died in the helicopter crash in the Mediterranean Sea while conducting aerial refueling training when the aircraft experienced an in-flight emergency resulting in the crash, according to information provided by the Department of Defense. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour. And then in our second hour, a conversation with Ann White, Courage for Life Study Bible for Women and Men. It's a discipleship tool with a suite of other resources that come along with it. We'll tell you more about that when she joins us. First up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, fear is one of the greatest enemies of the abundant life that God offers, but courage can take root when God's truth becomes greater than the world's lies. Well, embracing this courage begins with a commitment to change, specifically a commitment to renew the mind. And the best way to renew the mind is by reading, hearing, studying, and applying God's Word. Well, the Courage for Life Bible is beautifully designed to provide men and women with practical, easy-to-understand, applicable, and inspiring content that helps them grow in their relationship with God and discover, study, and apply God's Word. Well, my next guest is the author of this Bible. Well, not the author of the Bible, but you'll get the idea. Um, my my guest is Anne White. She is an in- internationally known author, speaker, and passionate Bible teacher. She founded her global ministry, Courage for Life, out of a calling to share with others how God and his word brought restoration to her life and her marriage. Having personally experienced God's grace, his salvation, and the life-changing power of the Bible, she extends this same love, mercy, and encouragement to others so that they, too, may be reconciled to God. She joins us today to talk about the Courage for Life Study Bible for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bible for Men. Ann White, thank you so much for joining us. Gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, thank you. Well, let me first of all clarify for our listeners what we're talking about. The Courage for Life Study Bible for Men or for Women is not a translation. It is a study Bible. Can you help make the distinction so uh, our listeners are aware of what specifically we're referring to? Yes, absolutely. So the translation is the New Living Translation, which is a wonderful modern English translation that's uh, by Tyndale Publishing House. And the Courage for Life Study Bible is a project that I've worked on for the last two and a half years with Tyndale and their incredible Bible team to create a discipleship Bible, a study Bible that a new believer or someone who is just desiring to get into God's Word can take. It's got incredible content, introductions, 
lots of content, and 1,464 Bible studies. It's got a Bible study at the bottom of every scripture page. So it's rich with content, helps the reader to understand and put into context what they're reading, but also has a practical application Bible study at the bottom of the page that they can used to apply to their life every single day. So we use it in our ministry for discipleship purposes, but anyone can read it if they're studying it on their own or studying it in a group. It's a great resource to have with lots of rich content that between me and the Tyndale Bible team, we have put this together and it took us about two and a half years to do so. We could not be more excited that it has gone on the market. I mentioned in the introduction that um, Courage for Life really grew out of a, your calling, your calling to share with others how God and his word brought restoration to your life. So often God calls us into a ministry and prepares us by taking us mm-hmm. through circumstances that equip us by experience uh, to stand firm and to help others. Can you tell us a little bit of your story and how God uh, infused through Bible study and application courage into your life and marriage? Absolutely. Well, I was saved when I was 19 years old, but by a coworker, and I really was only going to church every so often, didn't have a clue really what was next. You know, a lot of times we'll lead people to the Lord, and so often we don't help them take that next step and bring them into a relationship, a discipleship relationship, and help them know what do you do next. So for about 20 years of my life, I would go to church on Sunday mornings, occasionally, maybe two or three times a month. And when I would, I'd take my Bible with me, but I'd always bring it right back home, put it back on the shelf and not pick it up again until I went back to church. That was just a routine that I had. It's the routine that many of us have here in the United States and really around the world. Because for me, I didn't think unless the pastor deciphered the verse that he was studying for me, that I would really understand it or get anything out of it. But it wasn't until my 40s when I really got desperate for a word from the Lord, and I knew that the Bible had God's word. I believed that with all of my heart, and the Holy Spirit just drew me to his word, that I started really diving in. And then a friend recommended I start going to precept ministries where Kay Arthur was teaching through um, the prophets. And so I began sitting under Kay's teaching and began to learn to read, study, and understand God's word for myself. And when I did, it just opened up that close relationship with the Lord and His Word that I'd always heard people talk about, but I never knew how to get. And so that was really part of my story where I came to. And so for about 10 or 12 years, I really dove in and then I began teaching His Word to other people. But I was still carrying around baggage in my life, baggage that was holding me back from that abundant life, from really freely going after God's will, his calling. And so it wasn't until about 2012, I hit another roadblock in my life and my relationships. And God just really brought me to the end of myself and said, you know, it's time that you get some help and unpack these bags that have this emotional baggage you've been carrying around since childhood. So after I worked through that, I really began to open up and really freely just put my yes on the table before the Lord and trust Him with the future. And that's when He encouraged me to birth a ministry that today is Courage for Life. And we're a discipleship ministry that creates resources. Um, there's, we have an all-female voice audio Bible. We were one of the first to put that out on the market. 
And then we now have the Courage for Life study Bibles, and we help people walk through that transformational process, the discipleship of going from really a fear-based decision-making or lifestyle to a truly a faith-based walk with the Lord. Uh, You mentioned uh, early in your your comment that for many um, who attend church, the Bible is a fashion statement. It says something about, well, I prioritize faith. I may not necessarily understand what the scriptures teach, but it's fashionable to carry a Bible or it's an accessory that that goes with us. But you're helping folks who have a regard for the Bible, but little understanding of it to move from simply carrying the Bible to opening it and becoming mm-hmm. disciples and disciple makers. That is correct, because what I learned is there is such hope, encouragement and power in the word of God. He speaks to us through his word. He can encourage us. He can direct our path. He can all of these things. And we learn about him as we read about the lives of the men and women who have walked this journey before us all the way from Genesis and Adam and Eve to Abraham and Joseph. And we go through these lives. We see God's relationship with them. And we know that God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And we really learn from these lives and the words that are spoken. And of course, in the New Testament, as we get there, we hear all about what Jesus has to say, his very words, God's very words to us to encourage us and inspire us, correct us and get us on the right path. And so it's really amazing um, when you haven't studied the Bible before and you begin, it opens up a whole new world of just light and life with your relationship with the Lord. Mm, Amen. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Ann White is my guest. She is the the author, the editor. I'm not quite sure how to even describe her, but the Courage for Life Study Bible for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bible for Men. This is a discipleship tool that I think you'll find very helpful. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Ann White. She is an internationally known author, speaker, and passionate Bible teacher, and joins us today to talk about the Courage for Life Bible for Women and the Courage for Life Bible for Men. It is a discipleship tool that helps us regard what God has to say for us and to apply that, uh, say to us rather, and to apply that uh, to our our lives. One of the things that I discovered in my own Bible study is just how ordinary the heroes of the faith were, that they were not extraordinary mm-hmm. superheroes. They were just like you and I. They lived in real time. They lived through real circumstances. They had to make real decisions about whether or not they were going to obey God or follow him. And so they're not so different from us, even though their culture is is uh, far different. And to apply what I'm learning there and to see that God could use me in, in similar ways, uh, is a fascinating part of Bible study. Now, this uh, Bible study that we're talking about, this Bible that we're uh, referencing, really emphasizes courage. And we live in a time when people are challenged just to get up in the morning, to to go to work, perhaps. Uh, it requires courage. Can you uh, talk a bit about the necessity of courage and how God can give it, give even the most timid among us the courage uh, to live in a way that's pleasing to him? Absolutely, Georgine. You know, I always thought I had courage all of my life because I felt like I could handle any circumstance, any difficulty, and I did. I would just plow through. But what I was missing was the component that God wanted to be involved in my life. So to me, 
where I used to think courage was all about doing it on my own and, and having the courage to step out. Today, here's how I define courage. Courage is taking a necessary step, something that God's calling you to do or something you know that the Lord would be pleased that you need to do in your life, make a necessary change, and then trusting Him with the outcome. You know that you need to do this. You know you need to take this step. There may be people that have, you know, that may not want you to take that step because they're used to the way things are. You may be a little concerned about how you're going to be received or what's going to happen in the end. But we need the courage to simply take those steps forward when we know it's something that the Lord is calling us to do when we need to do it. Courage is not something that we're going to get and have it every single day. We need to embrace it every morning when we wake up. And I found that God's Word gives me that courage, that I, as I draw closer to Him and I see and I read the the lives, like you were saying, of the men and women who walked this life before us that were very much like we are. For example, Abraham. I love studying and teaching on Abraham. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a wonderful example of he didn't get everything right. He didn't get everything perfect. And I love how God, when he called him to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and just go to the land God was going to show him, God didn't tell him everything, how it was all going to work out. He just needed to trust the Lord with his future, and he started taking those steps forward. And as he made mistakes along the way, he learned from those mistakes. He made big mistakes, but God still called him his friend. God loved him. God reckoned him to righteousness because of his faith. And so I love these stories because they make me feel better about myself. Yeah, and it certainly puts into perspective that the the, peop- the ancients, if you will, were not so different mm-hmm. from ourselves that the one thing that we have in common is that we have a decision to make to walk in obedience or to reject God and his call plan and purpose Mm -hmm. for our lives. And each of us has to make that decision on our own. We've been emphasizing the fact that the uh, courage for life study Bibles, one for men, one for women really uh, emphasizes um, courage, but it also is a discipleship tool. It's not just intended to be an academic exercise, but to apply God's Mm -hmm. word to our life and to our walk. Uh, you have a number of resources that help do that. First of all, the way the Bible is constructed, providing great resources for thought and further study and so on. You also have audio resources. Can you kind of describe the suite of resources that accompany Courage for Life and these Bibles that we've been referencing? Well, absolutely. I'd love to, because we have introductions, like an introduction to the Bible itself, you know, for for new readers or readers who want to learn more about the Bible, and then we also have for the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then we have introductions to every single book of the Bible, and we discuss, we help you put God's Word into context by answering the questions, who, what, when, where, why, and how of each book. In other words, who was the author? Who was the audience? What's going on? Where is all of this happening? When is it happening? And how do I read this book? In other words, How do I break this book down, especially if it's Genesis and it's a large book? We need to figure that out. And so it really helps the reader to go in and study an entire book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, put it in context. And with a Bible study on the bottom of every page that includes a short prayer, an observation of what a timeless life lesson that God's trying to teach on that particular page, observing that text and what's going on, interpreting that text, in other words, saying, what is God trying to say? What lesson is he trying to pull out here? And then application points 
which directs you on how to apply it to your life in practical ways. There's 1,464 of those in there. In addition to that, we are connected. Tyndale has connected uh, this to their filament app. And so when you get your Bible and you scan the QR code and download the filament app, you have access not only to the audio Bible portion of the Courage for Life Bible, but you also have access to unlimited resources. And, you know, whether it be um, pictures and so forth of things that relate to that particular page, but every single page can be scanned and you've got this incredible content. So you really have a library of resources in your Bible. You can keep it as simple as you want to, or you can have as in-depth of a study as you'd like to. But it just hands you those resources. We have a topical index at the back. So if you're struggling someday with um, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's you want to know more about grace, or whether you're just struggling even with depression or hopelessness, you can look back in the back and find these topics, you know, anger, mercy, you name it. And then there will be the lessons beside of it that tell you where you can go back in the Bible and study lessons on those specific topics. So we have just made it, I believe, as easy as possible for individuals to study God's Word on their own, but to also bring others along in the journey when they're ready to do so. Mm. Once again, we're talking about the Courage for Life Study Bible for Women, the Courage for Life Study Bible for Men, published by Tyndale. Throughout um, the Bibles, you offer the seven steps to to courage. They're incorporated Mm -hmm. into every Bible lesson. They're grounded in biblical principles. Can you quickly review those seven steps to courage? Yes, these are the practical steps that I took in my life, really to break that baggage down that I was talking about. So our first step in courage is the C step. That's commit to change. God is always calling us to change something in our life, whether it's something big, like our where we're working or where we're living, or something small, like our attitude. Then once we've made that commitment to change, and throughout the Bible we see that example where God is calling people to make courageous changes— We need to look at the O step, which is overcome obstacles, because for every change that God's calling us to make, there are going to be obstacles because Satan doesn't want us to make them. So we look at those obstacles and how we overcome them. Uncover your true self is the U step, and that's our identity piece. How do we we see ourselves? But more importantly, how does God view us? And so we look at Scripture and see God's um, view of us for the U step. And we adopt that over the world's view. The R is replace worldly lies with scriptural truth. And so we identify the lies of the world and we replace them with God's word and what he has to say is true. Then the A step, which is accept the things you cannot change. I always thought I could change my circumstances, my, the people around me, my family members. But I learned for one time and only God said, you can only change one person, and that's you. So let's start there. And then your environment will change, and the people will recognize the change. And then I will begin working on change in their life. That was the A step. The G step is grasp God's love for you. There are so many lessons that tell us the unfathomable, unconditional love that God has for us. And we need to embrace that. And then the E step is embrace a life of grace, which is our forgiveness step. Sometimes we need to receive that grace for ourselves that God gives, but we also need to extend grace to others who may have hurt us and wounded us throughout our lives. 
So all of our lessons are centered around whether it's needing to make a commitment to change, and there's a Bible lesson in there where we've seen um, someone go through a difficult time and they were they needed to make a commitment to change or uncover their true self or accept something that they couldn't change and trust God with their outcomes or the forgiveness yeah, piece yeah. that they need to embrace. Well, Ann White, I appreciate so much your taking the time to to talk with us and to present this uh, this Bible uh, that you've pre- that you've created for discipleship, Courage for Life Study Bible for Women, Courage for Life Study Bible for Men, published by Tyndale, currently available with all kinds of resource uh, resources associated with it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. God bless. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. If you're in Seattle, have a great night. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow in Portland. Stick around. There's more to come. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland only segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, major Jewish organizations in the United States are organizing a pro-Israel rally. It's going to take place in Washington, D.C. next week to condemn the Hamas terror attacks on Israel and to call for the release of the hostages. It's organized by a the Jewish Federations of North America and the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. The March for Israel will take place on Tuesday, the 14th at 1 p.m. on the National Mall in Washington. The March for Israel will be an opportunity for all Americans to come together in solidarity with the people of Israel to demonstrate their commitment to America's most important ally in the Middle East, to condemn the rising trend of anti-Semitic violence and harassment, and to demand that every hostage be immediately and safely released. Least, the March website says organizers promise high security at the event where participants will pass through high detection uh, uh, metal detectors and be given blue wristbands to wear to identify who's gone through them and who has not. Eric D. Fingerhut, president and CEO of the Jewish Federation's North America, said in a statement that Hamas murdered the most Jewish people in a single day since the Holocaust. Israel must eliminate the terrorist threat on its border and restore safety and security to its people. He added that Americans have rightly stood by Israel at this critical moment because Americans understand that Israel's fight against Hamas is no different than America's fight against al-Qaeda and ISIS. According to the press release from the uh, March, the Jewish federations of North America represent 146 federations as well as hundreds of independent communities dedicated to building and sustaining flourishing Jewish communities at home in Israel and around the world. Well, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial was dedicated on this day in history, November 13th, 1982. It's becoming the newest addition to the Washington, D.C. National Mall. Designed by Maya Lin, an architectural student at Yale University at the time, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial consists of two 200-foot walls made up of 72 panels of polished black granite. The names of more than 58,000 American service members who were killed or were missing in action in the Vietnam War are inscribed on 70 of those panels in order of their deaths. At the time of its dedication, the memorial was regarded for its revolutionary minimalist design that appeared as a gash in the landscape as an unhealed wound. And the website uh, from the National Park Service read, unlike the other memorials on the National Mall, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial didn't have statues of service members. Initially, it proved quite controversial among groups of veterans, notes the History Channel's website. And after the Vietnam Veterans Memorial was dedicated, however, there was a remarkable shift in public opinion toward the memorial. As of 2023, it is the most visited memorial on the National Mall That's according to the Department 
of Defense. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu slammed French President Minister, or I should say Prime Minister Macron, for suggesting Israel purposely bomb civilians. Prime Minister Netanyahu on Saturday night bluntly slammed French President Emmanuel Macron over remarks he made a day earlier in which he criticized Israel for killing babies and the elderly in Gaza and reiterated his call for a ceasefire. During a press conference, Netanyahu said that the French president had made a serious mistake factually and morally in his allegations that Israel is intentionally bombing civilians. Hugh Hewitt weighed in, pointing out that Israel will not be pressured by anyone to do anything. It will destroy Hamas and recover their citizens and Netanyahu, Gallant and Gantz are shoulder to shoulder. They will not bend to false charges from Macron or anyone else. Israel released footage on Saturday showing that the Israel Defense Forces, or IDF, protected 50,000 Gazans as they evacuated to the southern part of the territory. This was the seventh day in a row that Israel opened the evacuation corridor for Palestinians to escape the area. Israel's first started opening evacuation routes four weeks ago. Today, the evacuation corridor was opened between 9 a.m. to 1,600. Um, 50,000 Gazans evacuated south for their safety. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday unanimously struck down the Biden administration's restrictions on ghost guns or firearms without serial numbers, determining that the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives lacked the authority to enact them. Well, the decision upholds a lower court decision that held that ATF exceeded its authority. The U.S. Supreme Court had allowed the restrictions to take effect while the case made its way through the appeals process. The ruling is a blow to President Biden who has called for lighter restrictions on firearms, or rather tighter, including an assault weapons ban. Earlier in his administration, the Supreme Court struck down a New York state requirement that concealed carry permit applicants demonstrate a need to carry a firearm. A CVS location in Washington, D.C. was forced to wipe its shelves clean of toilet paper, no pun intended, and replace them instead with framed photos of the product amid rising thefts in the country's capital. If customers need to purchase any toilet paper or paper towels, for that matter, they must tap a buzzer placed on the bar, uh, the bare shelves to summon a store employee. Good luck with that to retrieve it from the back room. The unusual store display has uh, was started after homeless people began snatching the product off the shelves of the drugstore. One reporter pointed out that reports of robbery in D.C. are up 68 percent in 2023 compared to last year. More than 3,000 robberies have taken place so far this year, up substantially from last year, this same time. Metropolitan uh, Metropolitan Police Department data shows. In a video released Thursday on X, West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin announced that he would not seek re-election in 2024. I've made one of the toughest decisions of my life, he said, and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. However, it appears that Manchin is not ready to hang up his political spurs just yet, as he added. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there's any interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. End quote. Manchin's announcement comes a little surprise as a little uh, surprise, given the fact that he faced an uphill battle to retain his seat with recent polling showing him trailing Republican challenger and current Mountain State Governor Jim Justice by double digits. As hinted above, Manchin may be contemplating a third party presidential run. As several months ago, he teamed up with Republican and former Utah Governor John Huntsman to speak at a no labels town hall event. 
Meanwhile, this likely solidifies the, his uh, Senate seat for Republicans in 2024 in the election, which already has Democrats defending 20 seats, arguably 23, with three independents to Republicans, 11 seats. The fighting continues against the Hamas in, uh, enemy, the Hamas terrorists, said Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday. But in specific locations for a given period, a few hours here, a few hours there, we want to facilitate a safe passage for civilians away from the zone of fighting. And we're doing that. Not surprisingly, Joe Biden took credit for the many ceasefires, which began on Saturday and which uh, would ostensibly allow Gaza civilians to flee southward. It's critical, absolutely vital, the National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said that humanitarian supplies and assistance are expanded in the area where people are moving, in this case, southern Gaza. Prices are higher, but inflation is not. Well, in one sense, you've got the hand it uh, to the media propagandists. They've been handing it handed a turnip and are trying to convince the American people they're actually an ice cream cone. Well, the turnip is uh, Joe Biden's dismal economy created primarily by his administration's massive spending policies that set inflation skyrocketing to 40 year highs. And of course, with high inflation comes higher prices on everything because the value of the dollar is shrinking. It's Economics 101 attempting to deny or spin away from this reality. Vox, that's V-O-X's Emily Stone, wrote an article effectively lamenting that people don't recognize that the economy is actually pretty good because they're living in 2023 but want 2019 prices. We'll talk about gaslighting. Americans judge a good economy by seeing their bank accounts growing and not shrinking, seeing their buying power increasing and not decreasing. In short, a good economy is when expenses for living decrease relative to earnings. Inflation is a hidden tax that robs Americans of their wealth as it uh, continuously eats away at the value of their savings and buying power. Whatever uh, mediaites uh, do to uh, take the onus off of Joe Biden and the Democrats is simply a false narrative. Well, weird doings at the uh, trial of lifelong leftist David DePap, 43, who just over a year ago attacked 83-year-old Paul Pelosi in a San Francisco home with a hammer. Where's Nancy? Well, DePap, he apparently demanded Pelosi before the cops arrived. When they did, he wrestled a hammer from Pelosi's grip and bludgeoned him with it. Why did he do it? Well, according to DePap's defense attorney, he truly believed he was trying to save the world from a secret cabal of high-profile pedophiles. Apparently, the homeless, nudist, drug-addled, anti-Semitic, BLM-supporting Berkeleyite is actually a QAnon conspiracy theorist, theorists rather, who, according to his defense team, took to the Internet and became aware that the liberal ruling classes spread lies and abuse children, end quote. We're not sure where this is headed, but we suspect a PAPS defense team thinks it's better. He has a better chance uh, is uh, to paint Pelosi's assailant as the uh, right winger rather than the lifelong leftist that he's always been. Journalism equipped, uh, or rather quipped David Burge of Ohio Cock uh, some years ago is about covering important stories with a pillow until they stop moving. And nowhere is that sentiment more spot on than with the reporting around David DePap and Paul Pelosi. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the lie of global overpopulation, a concept made popular in the 1968 book The Population Bomb by Stanford biology professor Paul Ehrlich and his wife Anne, has deceived generations of Westerners into thinking that too many people is an existential threat to humanity and the planet. Well, the reality is the exact opposite. 
Fewer people result in greater deprivation of resources rather than exploitation of them. The threat facing much of the developed world is depopulation. The U.S. Census Bureau released its estimates for the national population, and the report predicts that by the year 2080, the U.S. population... Are we still going to be here in 2080? I'm hoping Jesus has come and gone by then. But anyway, uh, 2080, the U.S. population... Well, not gone, but you know what I mean. Anyway, we'll have peaked, and by 2100, for the first time in American history, the population will be in decline. The Census Bureau projects that without a high immigration scenario, the U.S. population will decline to 319 million by 2100. Well, today's current U.S. population is over 340 million. The impact of our current ballooning national debt on a shrinking population will become even more acute as we'll uh, have an aging population with fewer working age people to tax uh, to pay for it. Well, it is a very sobering prospect. In other news, on Thursday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that the number of parents opting out of giving their children routine childhood vaccines has reached an all-time high. In the 2022-23 school year, 3% of children going into kindergarten were granted vaccine exemptions by their states, the highest on record. Across the country, 40 states saw childhood vaccine exemption rates rise, and in 10 of those states, the exemptions rose by above, rather, 5%. There's a rising distrust in the healthcare system. I wonder why. That's my own editorial comment. That's an observation from Dr. Anna Hussein, a pediatrician and spokeswoman for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Well, the rates of childhood vaccine exemptions shot up over the last three years prior to 2020. Just two states have exemption rates over 5%. Can anyone guess the reason? Well, the obvious culprit is the federal government's draconian response to the COVID pandemic and the decision to mandate a novel COVID vaccine for the American public as the only solution, while at the same time waging a smear and censorship campaign against any medical professionals who dared to raise objections or even questions. By choosing to make the response to the pandemic a political issue, Washington is most at fault for sowing distrust. Well, it appears that left media reports of Governor Glenn Youngkin's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Indeed, the ardently pro-Democrat mainstream media may have been too quick to trumpet what they saw as bad news for Virginia's improbably popular Republican governor. As one typical headline read, Glenn Youngkin's devastating loss in Virginia sparks wave of jokes, mockery. What was the wellspring of all this um, derision? Well, last Tuesday, Democrats kept control of the state Senate and regained control of the state House of Delegates. This was the opposite of what Youngkin had been campaigning hard for, which was control of both houses so as to push through a common sense conservative agenda during the last two years of his governorship. But it seems that a Democrat incumbent, uh, I think it's Ghazal Hashmi, misrepresented her residency, which would be disqualifying and would turn a 21-19 Democrat majority into 2020 tie with Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears. Uh, We wonder how she'll vote. Well, casting the tie-breaking vote. As Just the News reports, Hashmi said on her campaign paperwork that she lived in an apartment in North Chesterfield in Senate District 15, which she won with 61.9% of the vote. However, four neighbors filed a complaint stating that Hashmi lives in um, Midlothian outside of the district and they provided a spreadsheet showing that they had passed her home 61 times in October to document her residency. Here's hoping the MSM mainstream media ends up eating crow. They'll probably choose to fast. 
No one has uh, gone broke lately underestimating the intelligence of the U.S. military's recruiting brain trust, but perhaps they finally gotten the message. As Homeland Institute Executive Director David Zusty, he uh, writes in an article titled A Thousand Good Reasons Not to Enlist, We Have a Battle Brewing for the Soul of the American Military. In a 180-degree reversal after years of celebrating bio-Leninist rejects, the U.S. Army recently released a recruitment video featuring white alpha males jumping out of an airplane. Emma, their previously lauded girl with two moms from California, is nowhere to be seen, presumably because a real war is brewing. We've documented the Army's recruiting woes rather extensively during the uh, current administration, as well as the unwillingness to face the fact that the twin scourges of weakness and wokeness are to blame. And while we're forever hopeful that a new commander-in-chief and a good house cleaning are all that stand between able-bodied young men and women and the restored fighting force, Zusty isn't yet ready to make amends. From my first, um, for my time in the U.S. Air Force, he writes, I can attest that if the military were a company, it would have failed years ago from gross incompetence. Whenever careerism on bureaucracy clashed with a mission, the mission almost always lost. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the days ahead. Well, listen up, maggots, begins columnist Kalman Borcher's Wall Street Journal piece uh, with nowhere to go but up. What this company needs is more effort and less whining. And I know just the person to set the tone, a drill sergeant or somebody who survived one. Well, he meant drill instructor, but whatever. What Column is uh, talking about is the staggering demand of right-thinking companies for annual availability of roughly 200,000 recently honorably discharged military vets. As Callum notes, veterans and companies that recruit from the armed forces say vets' appeal is rooted in hard work, humility, and attention to detail. Many a manager has complained to me that such, qualif- such qualities rather, are hard to find in the age of quiet quitting and coffee badging. Um, indeed, try quiet quitting in our beloved core and you see what it'll get you. Well, not much. As one former executive, David McCormick of hedge fund B- Bridgewater Associates notes, ability is not teachable and values are often not teachable. So the qualities that we at least are able to influence are the things we often find in veterans. That's good news all the way around. Let's hope uh, the rest of the employing world is listening. Well, U.S. officials have confirmed that the U.S. military drone that was shot down off the coast of Yemen last week was indeed the work of Iranian-backed rebels. We can confirm that a U.S. military MQ-9 remotely piloted aircraft was shot down off the coast of Yemen by Houthi forces, stated a U.S. senior official. June 2019 was the last time Houthi forces downed a U.S. drone. Meanwhile, on Sunday, the Pentagon announced that it was initiating another round of airstrikes targeting Iranian facilities in Syria. This indicates a ratcheting up of U.S. military actions in the region following Hamas's attack against Israel and a number of Iranian-backed attacks against U.S. troops in Syria and Iraq. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin defended the decision, saying it was designed to make clear that the United States will defend itself, its personnel and its interests. Well, in downtown New York City, directly outside the New York Times building, pro-Hamas protesters smashed a police cruiser and spray painted it with the words Free Gaza, IDF and KKK. This incident followed a protest where thousands of pro-Palestinian marchers flooded the streets with a mob of uh, uh, of them storming the New York Times lobby calling for a ceasefire now. Meanwhile, the president is focused on the threat of so-called Islamophobia as the White House earlier this month announced that Biden was taking steps to develop a national strategy to combat hatred against Muslims. Well, if pro-Hamas protesters in New York and other parts of the country are any indication 
the president may be barking up the wrong tree. All right, we are out of time. I do want to thank uh, James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Hey, have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.